So I guess maybe the real witchcraft was the friends we made along with something. Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm delving into a whole area of films that I never even knew existed. Today I was going uh, on YouTube looking at just general trailers for witch themed films, trying to add a few things to the old to watch list uh, and I discovered some trailers and when I tried to find the films for them I found that they were Amazon exclusive. You can only get these films on Amazon, they haven't been released on DVD and I was like well these seem like they're gonna be shite let's take a look at one. The one in particular that caught my attention was called The Witch Files and was released in 2019. I rented it in standard definition from Amazon for £2.49 which is about £1 more than I think it was actually worth but okay and I'd just like to start by saying Paget Brewster was in this movie. Um, Paget Brewster been quite a variety of things probably most well known at least to me for being in criminal minds for like a really long time and you'd think that she'd have enough of a like money and an acting career to not be in a movie like this but um she's in it and i can't work out why i can only guess she owed somebody a favor now the trailer caught my eye because it looked like it was going to be essentially a modern update of the same story as The Craft, i.e. a bunch of teen girls get into practicing witchcraft and hijinks ensue. It also looked like someone had tried to make a film out of, you know the little mix video for black magic where they like put some glasses on and they're like haha we're not popular because of wearing glasses and then they find a magic book and they use it to make some woman fart a bunch. It looked like they made a, like an hour and a half movie out of that um, with the same level of special effects. So I was here for it. I was in the mood for something silly and light and kind of fun. And what I got was something entirely different. So uh, let, let's have a little chat about it, shall we? Uh, the film is an hour and 19 minutes long and I'm going to trigger warn for mentions of alcoholism. Uh, but that is basically the only thing, aside from mentions of eating disorders, that I could think to warn for. It's a pretty tame movie otherwise. So upon starting it, it comes up with a screen which I thought was just um, the rating screen for like American movies. You know how it's like usually bright green and it says like R in the middle of it. Uh, but this says that the film that I'm about to watch is property of the main state police and for jury eyes only, which makes no sense when you get to the end of the film. Uh, so just wanted you to keep that in mind. We then get into some security cam footage of around the school and I realised that this was going to be a found footage horror movie, which I was not on board with, but it manages to make a decent enough job of it that I sort of forgot that it was found footage quite a lot of the time, which is usually a mark of a good found footage movie. There's not a lot of shaky cam running and screaming, you know, you're generally pointed out where the action is. Uh, so we start off with a bang introducing our main characters in a way that was actually really effective because it helped me to remember them. There's a girl called Claire who's kind of your classic nerd. Uh, she's doing some sort of school broadcasting reports on detention and the ethics thereof. So we get this kind of like breakfast club-esque moment where she's in detention interviewing people about why they are there and this introduces the other girls in our like main group. So we've got Claire who is a nerd, we've got Brooke who is Madison Montgomery from American Horror Story. 
in the sense that she has a lot of hair extensions, wears sunglasses on her head even when she's indoors, and is kind of a cool, mean, rich bitch. Then we are introduced to Mary Jane, also known as MJ, who mentions some stuff about how it's very puritanical that she got detention for kissing her boyfriend in the hall. The boyfriend is her only character trait, aside from vague dislike of her body and feminism. So I kind of get the feeling that her like character trait was meant to be that she was slightly fat and insecure. So there we go, that's her. Then we uh, have Greta, who is the only one of the characters who is not white. Uh, she uh, is in detention because she skipped class to do some hockey captaining related duties that she thought were more important than her physics class. And she's basically sporty. That, that's generally her characteristic. And then we meet Jules, who is new and quiet uh, and also kind of a goth. Brooke makes some vague allegations that she like worships Satan and is just generally being kind of mean about Jules. But Jules says that she has actually lived in this town called Brunswick before and actually just moved away for a bit and has come back. So she's a native to the area and is actually from a very old Brunswick family. So it has a lot of history with the area. She is apparently in detention because some guy decided to try and grope her so she pushed him but he's like a, a giant football player type guy and so they ask her how she did this and she says she just believed that she could push him and then she did. Uh, so then Brooke is very keen to jump on her for being like a goth and saying all this stuff about like magic-y stuff and says that trying to be a witch in Brunswick is like wearing mouse ears at Disney. Which kind of made me, uh, like, reminded me of the, uh, what was it called? How to Hang a Witch? Where it was, like, the girl who was related to someone from the Salem Witch Trials and moved to Salem. It was kind of that idea of, like, oh, you're a goth who lives in Salem. Oh, yay, that's original. <laughs> so I kind of liked that. But when they challenge her to prove that she actually is a witch and has powers, she wastes no time in saying a chant that we can't really hear, but which doesn't sound like English. Uh, and then the fire alarm goes off, so they are all excused from detention. Outside, they ask her how she managed to do it, and she said that because they believed that she could, or at least some of them did, she was able to do it. And Claire says there's some scientific background in this uh, and relates it back to like mass meditation for world peace decreasing an area's crime rates which seems bullshit we are introduced to mj's boyfriend darren he doesn't play a huge part in the movie but he has an annoying ass face and an annoying ass hat so i thought i'd mention it he has a friend called jason who is claire's love interest for the movie he's at least 30 everyone else kind of makes a convincing stab at looking like a teenager but no he's he's straight up just Dawson Creek's it he's he's too old for school he should not be here they all then express interest in meeting up with Jules and learning a little bit more about this whole witchcraft deal she says it's a religion not a hobby but agrees to meet them at a place called Hag's Rock at midnight where only good things can happen we get a bit of backstory on Claire whose dad is out of work so they're all worried about money and her sister has a stutter which becomes semi-relevant later she sneaks out and goes to Hag's Rock, runs into Brooke on the way and finds out a little bit about Brooke. Uh, Brooke's dad now has a new family, a new girlfriend, and her mom has squandered her alimony and is a little bit of an alcoholic. So Brooke has, you know, a tragic backstory, which is why she's such a bitch. Uh, they then meet up with Greta, who doesn't really get that much character development. I feel like Greta gets written off much in the way that Rachel True's character was in like, the original Craft movie, in the sense that 
it's like, oh look, it's Sarah and Nancy, and then some development of Bonnie. Oh, and yeah, also, there's other characters here, but we're not going to talk about Rochelle that much, and her arc is going to be largely unfinished. So uh, Greta is definitely suffering from that, which is a real shame, uh, because she raises some interesting points later in the movie, and uh, I feel like they could have done some some more stuff with her character. They meet up with Jules and she gives them the rundown about how the pentacle isn't satanic. It's only satanic when it's upside down, which I think is also incorrect, but um, I guess she, she tried. Uh, they then bury a lock of hair around a pentacle that she has drawn outside in salt, which seems wildly bad for the environment, um, but they, they bury some hair. They then do a chant from an ancient piece of parchment, which has apparently been in Jules' family for a really long time, and it's meant to join them together as a coven, which seems fucking premature, seeing as they met that afternoon. Uh, they then sit around and have a little picnic, and Claire says that uh, Wiccans and Pagans have met at this rock for, for like a while. She doesn't say how long this goes back for, but I'm guessing it's a recent thing because she does mention Wicca. She also says that in the 1600s, several women were found dead there, which gives rise to the um, idea that witches were executed there, which she says is incorrect. It was just, they found some dead women. You know, as you do amongst the fallen leaves every January. Then Jules chips in with a little bit more to this story and says that there was one survivor amongst the dead women, a woman called Mary Perkins, who was found with uh, rope burns around her neck and she couldn't speak. So she was imprisoned as, as being responsible, but later escaped and blamed the town and said that it was uh, a witch hunt that she had narrowly escaped from. They hear a scream, which I think is Greta because she's noticed something after having wandered off into the distance for no reason. But this calls them back to the pentacle and they find that the ground has been dug up and their hair is now gone. The next day they meet up at school and uh, Jill says that their offerings were taken and therefore their coven has been deemed worthy, which is apparently exciting. She then reveals that she has a second chant on this ancient parchment that they can now do now that they've been deemed worthy. And after some brief interruption by Darren and his stupid hat, uh, they start talking about doing this second chant, which is apparently a commencement chant, but the description for it has been torn off the bottom of the paper. So Jules isn't entirely sure what it does. That's a good idea to do that. MJ is rightfully a little bit sketched out by this and doesn't necessarily want to do it. She's worried that their power that they've demonstrated by making some hair disappear which a vacuum cleaner can also do, is somehow coming from like a demon or the devil. But Jules assures her that it is drawing on like natural energy uh, in a very sort of pagan way. She also says that without MJ, they can't do the second chant because it requires everyone who did the first chant. They decide to meet at Brooke's house. They sage and cast a circle and there's kind of a, a funny little moment where the fire alarm goes off, which is just kind of a nice touch because I think that's happened to everyone who's done a ritual at home, especially when you're a teenager. MJ does show up, they then do the chant, nothing much happens, and then they Cheetos. They decide to do a spell to see if whatever they were trying to do has worked. And Jill said that she did the fire alarm thing by just focusing on it and repeating an appropriate mantra. So they sit around a book saying, levitate this book, and nothing happens. And then Claire decides that they should change the chant to, the book's already in the air, and this works, uh, because 
they aren't asking it to do something they are just assuming that their will is already done and and this is more effective and i've read this in like non-fiction pagan books like manifestation things like that not to ask for things but just to act like it's already yours so that seems like valid a lot of things in this film do seem to draw on something akin to modern paganism in a vague sense uh, unfortunately they're interrupted while trying to float claire uh, by brooke's mum coming home with a new boy toy which is again very similar to that scene in the craft where they float someone and then get interrupted the next day at a diner without mj who has uh, begged off because of a dentist appointment they get sassed by a rude waitress and decide to leave without paying uh, so they repeat to themselves the bill has already been paid and then the woman comes over and says like oh, okay i'll get you some change and then they leave her the imaginary change as a tip and leave claire is a little bit worried by this she asks you know how this has worked because obviously they didn't hand over any money the till is going to be short money at the end of the day what is the waitress going to think what's going to come of this but everyone else kind of poo-poos her concerns and they go on a pretty woman-esque shopping spree which i'm aware dates me quite horribly as a person but they go on a pretty woman-esque shopping spree okay just leave me alone uh, they go around a bunch of uh, fashionable boutiques saying she's already paid she's already paid so that they can all leave with their individual purchases and jules buys herself her own digital cameras so far it's only been claire filming things they run into darren mj's stupid boyfriend and he mentions that mj is having a double root canal which yikes uh, and they kind of forgot about her and don't seem to care that much aside from it being kind of awkward when he tells them this so there's already these kind of fractures in the group which i thought was quite interesting we then find out that brooke is struggling in her english class and the teacher dwyer really hates her so her and claire sit there and chant dwyer's a coffee mouth dwyer's a coffee mouth and i was sitting here like they're just trying to give him coffee breath because that's lame uh, but no he just kind of vomits coffee in a kind of lame parody of what happens to that lady in witches of eastwick where she can't stop throwing up cherry pits i don't know why they said dwyer's a coffee mouth because that's definitely not a thing like you don't go to the to the accident emergency and be like excuse me i have a case of coffee mouth and they're like oh shit that's Nescafe, that is. It, 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 it's just not a thing, and I found that particularly stupid. Well, I guess they had to do something to him. MJ then rejoins them, and it's a bit awkward, because obviously she missed out on the shopping spree, and no one came to, like, talk to her. Uh, but they quickly kind of mesh back together as a group. Jules says that they are all able to use the power of the coven individually, so they don't have to work magic together. They are all just drawing on the same combined pool. And Brooke then says that since they all want stuff, they should make a list and then get together and make it happen. Claire and Jules walk home together and Claire does a little potted explanation of broomstick riding and uh, ergot poisoning and the lore behind some of that, which I found a little bit questionable, but they, they mesh those two together. So there you go. Jules then reveals that her parents are dead and she's actually in a foster home. And then some sort of random homeless woman attacks Claire and tries to like, i don't know i wasn't sure what she was trying to do whether she was trying to like yank the camera out of her hand or drag her into an alley or what uh, but jules force pushes her away like a jedi so i guess that's sorted and that is again similar to the craft uh, the scene where the homeless man is chasing sarah with his little pet snake uh, claire then is describing as part of her 
detention report, which sounds thrilling and scarily comprehensive. The Stanford Prison Experiment and the, the dangers of giving in to power and power hunger, which I'm sure will not prove to be extremely foreshadowy. Uh, she then asks her mum if her glasses prescription has become mixed up, uh, but that's all the info we get on that. But it is strongly suggested, obviously, that MJ is having these problems with her teeth and now Claire is having problems with her vision. So they sit down in the forest and they discuss their wishes. MJ wants her boyfriend Darren to propose to her. God only knows why. She seems to just want to be a middle-aged woman. She's just like, I just want to be married. Um, she also wants to change a lot of things about her body. Greta wants to beat Westbrook at hockey. She also wants a new car because hers is not new. Brooke wants um, to maim her dad's new girlfriend by means of Doberman and also for her mum to stop drinking. Claire wants a job for her dad and for her little sister to stop stuttering. And Jules says she wants to fly and also be crowned queen of the spring fling, which is weird because she seems like a goth that doesn't care about that sort of thing. But maybe I'm pigeonholing her. Claire says that she doesn't really want to hurt anyone or manipulate people. She says that getting Jules to be queen of the spring fling basically amounts to rohypnoling their whole school. In, in terms of mind control so they go back and amend some wishes uh, mj changes the body change one to also wanting to fly and uh, brooke leaves off maiming her dad's new girlfriend and says she wants dwyer off her back instead so they then do some chanting which is intercut with point of view footage of mj flying which was at least a smart way to do that without it looking shite uh, they say in dwyer's eyes brooke can do no wrong Brooke's mum hates the taste of alcohol and Westbrook goalie can't block the shots, things like that. So I kind of wrote down the wishes and I was like, okay, only Claire has really asked for like selfless things because she's asked for stuff for her dad and for her little sister to, to stop struggling with her stutter. But then I thought, well, Brooke is also kind of asking for a selfless thing because she wants her mum to stop drinking. If that's selfish just because she wants her to stop drinking for selfish reasons, does that make it a bad thing? And I kind of thought that we were going to get a sort of rule of three plot to the movie where because they were doing selfish things, it was coming back on them uh, and uh, harming them in some way. Uh, MJ falls when she tries to land from flying, spits out a tooth and they have to rush her to the doctor uh, because something is, is still up with her mouth. It turns out that Darren has an engagement ring with him when he comes to the hospital, so they take it as read that everything they wished for is going to come true. Uh, Brooke then gets an A+, uh, and Dwyer promises to help her get into Princeton. Uh, Jason says that MJ's jawbone has been deteriorated, so that lends credence to the theory that it's the magic making things worse. But he also invites Claire to a party, so there's an upside. Brooke develops a big zit, which I feel like that's not the same as your jaw deteriorating and your teeth falling out. Like, she she, she just has a zit. Uh, their school do beat Westfield at hockey. And uh, somehow, it, it isn't explained how for like the longest time. Uh, but Greta just has a new fancy car. Uh, MJ is not texting them back and then hangs up on a Skype call. But it does appear that her jaw has been wired shut. So... That's unfortunate. We also see that Brooke's mum is not drinking. Um, 
Claire's dad now has two job offers and her sister is not stuttering. So their magic is working. Claire, Greta and Brooke go to the party, but Brooke is drinking a lot. And I kind of thought maybe this was the comeuppance from her wanting her mum to stop drinking, but for selfish reasons. Jules then just flies in on a stick with sandwiches to surprise everyone, which is weird. And then they catch Brooke making out with Jason, who belonged to Claire. So now Claire's upset. The next day, Claire and Jules are pulled out of class by Detective Strauss, who is played by Paget Brewster, who should not be in this film. But I mean, she's doing a good job. Like, I have nothing against her. I just feel like she's too good for this. Uh, she asks about receipts for their purchases from the fancy boutiques because the register was short and the cameras showed no transactions taking place. And she's been asked to investigate. So obviously it's showing these comeuppance. It kind of feeds into that thing. People always say like, don't cast money spells because the money has to come from somewhere. So I really liked that as a point in the story. And I thought more was going to be made of this, but it turns out to be more of a side plot than anything that's actually really relevant. Dwyer now appears to be in love with Brooke because I guess they weren't that specific when they said, you know, in his eyes, she can do no wrong. So he comes onto her in the hall but then we are told he turned himself into the principal for his behaviour and has lost his job. And he also has a wife and child. So his life's in the toilet. We don't get to hear about this getting fixed later. So I guess he's just fucked now. I don't know. But that's unfortunate. But again, it is showing those unintended consequences of the magic. And I feel like it's doing a better job at showing them than the movie The Craft did because these consequences are sort of more related to that and it's not just oh you cast a love spell now this guy's following you around like a zombie it's actually showing like everything that you worked for has to get to you somehow uh, and it's causing a lot of trouble as it comes to you. Claire then has an eye exam and is told that she has macular degeneration so she's essentially going blind and then at a hockey game, Greta's knee gives out and she's told she has early onset arthritis. So Claire very quickly puts it together that something's going wrong. And Brooke now appears to also be losing her hearing. So I guess the drinking thing was just her being a teenager. Jules claims that she's having hot flashes and that she's been diagnosed with like premature menopause, which I did not buy for a single fucking minute because you've got people over here like losing teeth and going blind and she's just like, oh yeah, I have hot flashes. And I was just looking at her like, really bitch? Something's not right with you, is it? Uh, and I was proved gratifyingly correct, but it takes them quite a long while to catch on to this. Uh, Claire instantly wants to stop doing magic because you know, she's going blind. But uh, Brooke says that she doesn't want to in case her mom starts drinking again. But Claire's worried that if even one of them is still doing magic, it will draw on the rest of them, like using them as batteries because they're all in this together. High school musical reference. I turn 29 tomorrow. MJ is still refusing to see any of them. Jules is definitely up to something. And then Greta says um, when they all meet up at her house uh, and find that she now walks with a cane. She says she didn't actually need what she wished for. She already had a car. She just wanted a new one, etc, etc. So we're getting some sort of growth on her part. And she now understands like that just wishing for things has these consequences. She then says to Claire that maybe Claire asking for these nice selfless things. Uh, will we'll spare her from these horrible effects that are happening to her. But Claire's already been told that she's going blind. So it seems like that's not the case. And this is when I started to think, okay, clearly something else is going on here. 
Detective Strauss rocks up again to ask Greta how she got the car because she drove it off the lot without money changing hands. And Greta tells her to just take the car back. She doesn't want it anymore. But Detective Strauss is in the mood for dropping some truth bombs. And she says that 17 years ago, she saw something like this before, like a bunch of girls suddenly having stuff they shouldn't have had and, and various other things. Jules is really dismissive of this, but then she would be because she's clearly evil. Uh, but Claire seems to take it to heart and become a little bit curious, especially when, Dr. Uh, when Detective Strauss says that previously it ended badly. So Claire's feeling a bit suspicious, but she also feels like she's being watched. So clearly she's being watched. Claire then wants to do a spell to get rid of their powers and reverse the bonding. But Jules acts really sketchy on Skype and is then attacked by like a poof of black smoke. Uh, she's hospitalised. And I started to think, okay, maybe she's being possessed or something. But then Claire's mum says that when she spoke to Jules's foster dad on the phone, he sounded like a zombie. So it's pretty clear that this whole thing is like a farce. She's controlling her foster parents. She is not who she says she is. Claire picks up Julia's homework and goes to Julia's house. But she is accosted on the way by the same homeless woman who appears to be mute. So I'm pretty sure she's going to be from the group of girls who did this last time. And I am proven to be correct because this is not a complicated movie. This is not hard to guess. Uh, Julia's foster family act really weird kind of like hostages like do you remember that episode of supernatural where lilith is like a little girl uh, like a demon and she's living with a family and they have to like keep making her cakes and like treating her like a cute little girl or she'll murder them it's that vibe uh, jules also throws blame onto brooke for this weird black fog attack that she got attacked with so it clearly is not brooke but she's trying to put a wedge between brooke and claire Brooke then shows up at Claire's house to, to have a talk, but the talk goes super badly and her and Claire proceed to have a sort of magic fight in the street, which would be cool if this isn't where the special effects really start to fall apart. Like when it was just like a book floating or a person floating or even like jewels flying on that stick, it looked okay. But when uh, Brooke starts shooting lightning and a, a really low moment is when Claire becomes a giant it does look very film school. It kind of looks like one of those special effects programs that you could download for like $12.99 and, and make for yourself on the computer. So it doesn't look great, but it doesn't look too bad either. They then realise that someone's trying to tear them apart, but they've gone a little bit far in the fight and uh, Claire now has like a chunk of white hair and um, Brooke's wart is more noticeable. So um, that's not good. They then go to Detective Strauss and realize that all of Julia's symptoms are internal and therefore unprovable. Uh, Detective Strauss explains that of the five previous girls, three are dead and two are missing, including Abby, a missing foster kid. So sure enough, they find a picture of Abby and Abby is Julie. So there you go. Uh, this has also happened before and uh, one of the girls was who went missing is called Lisa Strauss. So Detective Strauss's older sister. So she got a personal stake in this game. They do some research and find that the dead girls died of a rare mold poisoning, su suggesting ergot poisoning, but this is never brought up again. Uh, we al they also find out that Abby's full name was Abby Butcher, which is another name from old Brunswick. And that it was the name of one of the dead women from the original incident. 
at Hag Rock. So it's pretty clear that she's using these pseudonyms from this original incident and is somehow involved with it. They check some old yearbooks and find that Jules has also been the Flower Queen before, which is probably why she's so into it now. So she's returning basically every 17 years to do this with another group of girls. They do have a recognise that one of the missing girls is the mute homeless person, which I kind of saw coming. But uh, they, they go and see her. Her name is Sarah Gould. They find her in an alley and she gives them exposition by note card, which is kind of funny, to be honest. She says that the whole coven thing is a lie and that it is just a way for her their life force to be stolen. So Julie has set this whole thing up to feed on them, essentially. She also reveals that Julie can shoot fire, which is concerning. And uh, this is also how Sarah lost her voice because it was the effect from the magic which i mean it's not as bad as all your teeth falling out i'm just gonna say that right now unfortunately before she can like tell them a little bit more she is hit by a van which the driver says he can't see her so it's either magic or he needs contacts uh, but the one thing they do know is that being crowned as the spring flame queen will make the spell permanent and seal it so they need to stop that from happening which seems very teenagery, but, but there you go. In her room, Julie levitates and burns a vase of flowers, which one, looks terrible, and two, I mean, we already know she's evil. She doesn't just have to set flowers on fire for no fucking reason. Um, but there we go. She's also mean to her foster parents. They send MJ in because they finally get MJ to, like, cooperate with them and their efforts to defeat Jules. They send MJ in to quiz her and she finds basically nothing out so that scene is kind of pointless but at least you know mj's back in the game they go to the dance and do a chanting spell to keep jewels from being crowned queen but their health is now rapidly deteriorating from trying to do the, the magic julie then arrives with two dates one of whom is jason and one of whom is some other dude that greta wants to date um, Greta is kind of absent in the second part of the movie because they're not really using her as, uh, to her full potential as a character and it kind of annoyed me. Uh, Detective Strauss starts putting shit together which you know about time you've been working on this for years how did you never look at pictures of these people? The coronation for the spring fling homecoming dance prom queen thing happens and it's a girl called Tiffany to the surprise of not me because her name is Tiffany so Jules is obviously upset, but her plan B is human sacrifice, which will at least involve not attacking Tiara. I would have made that plan A. She starts randomly force pushing people at the prom, I guess, because she's evil and they wanted to rip off Carrie a little bit. Uh, but then Jason, Claire and Brooke escape into the floral maze, which as soon as they mentioned it, I knew there was going to be a show down there. It's kind of underwhelming because it's all made of construction paper. I did like how... I think it happened because the movie was low budget, but because it's low budget, the dance doesn't look like a Hollywood school dance. It looks like an actual school dance, i.e. like a gym that has been decorated with stuff from the dollar store. So I kind of appreciate that. That was funny. But yeah, they, they have a bit of a showdown. Brooke manages to fight off Jules for a, a second, but it is severely weakened and falls down. Jules then escapes with Jason, who is a virgin and who she plans to sacrifice. So MJ flies Claire to Hag Rock, but drains herself in the process. So in a very 
end of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone kind of way, Claire ends up alone. Because again, Greta is not being utilised at all. Like, they write Brooke out of the picture, they write MJ out of the picture, but Greta's just not there. Because I guess they forgot about her. Claire then uses the camera to see because she's now really nearsighted and has to like look at things close up in the viewfinder. She finds Julie and Julie gives some exposition, revealing she is Mary Perkins, the survivor from the original Hag Rock incident and also clearly the instigator in that case as well. Detective Strauss then interrupts the sacrifice, but Julie attacks her. It's really weird because up until now, like Paget Brewster has been like doing what I'm normally seeing her doing police work and now she's like having fireballs thrown at her and i'm like i don't know that you signed up for this this is weird but there we go so that distracts julie long enough for claire to invoke julia's past victims uh, with mj's help because mj has managed to like crawl to where she is only like six of the victims show up and if she's been doing this every 17 years since the 1600s usually killing like three people and leaving one survivor and herself there should be more than six so budget cuts or lazy ghosts pick an explanation uh, the ghosts surround julian they lightly touch her and she screams because i guess we're just doing the full end of harry potter and the philosopher's stone uh, but yeah she, she just screams and they gather around her so we can't really see what they're doing because i guess they're doing nothing Detective Strauss then sees her sister as her sister like fades out of existence. So I guess that's closure. You're welcome. Jules has now become an old lady and she vanishes in the same kind of poof of smoke she did when she took Jason. Yet everyone seems to assume that she's dead when it's pretty obvious she just like teleported somewhere and that they are not safe. But there you go. Crisis averted, they think. And then Claire just does like an, a, a full okay boomer because Paget Brewster is like, I'm going to need the tape from that camera. And she's like, it doesn't run on tape. It runs on memory cards, bitch. So I guess that was kind of funny. Um, but th there you go. I'm going to mention again the thing that happened at the beginning where it said that this was like property of the main police department for jurors only. But who are they prosecuting? Why would there be a jury that needed to see this tape? It makes no sense. Like, if there's no trial, like, I mean, put a thing on the beginning saying this tape is evidence, but don't put a thing on it saying, like, for jury use only, because there's, there's no trial. Unless something happens after the end of the movie, which, you know, is not in the movie, so quit it. As Claire then turns in her detention report, which I'm sure, you know, is by this point at least 18 hours long, and it's some sort of, like, fucking Al Gore documentary, but... The, the guy she has done it for at the school paper seems to like it but he says that it doesn't have a clear ending and it isn't clear if detention is good or bad which feels like a direct message to the viewer that this film is not going to have a clear ending and it's not going to clarify whether witchcraft is good or bad which is a shame because by not doing that it basically just makes it seem bad it's bad because Jules was bad and because we don't see the girls continuing to be witches without her there do they still have powers? It's unclear, but they don't use them, so I guess no. Uh, and that was kind of disappointing. It needed that scene, like at the end of the craft, where you see Sarah using her powers, but free of uh, of the others. It doesn't have that, which was a, a real disappointment. Uh, but the girls are still friends, so I guess maybe the real witchcraft was the friends we made along the something. The friends we learned along the way. Exactly. 
And then the four of them go outside the school. But wait a minute, the four of them are being filmed externally. And this is meant to be point of view camera work. Da da da! Who is filming them? Obviously it's Julia and she does that weird foreign sounding chant that she was doing at the beginning with the smack alarm. Game on bitch, the sequel. Except there is no sequel, that's just the end of the movie. So did I enjoy this film? Um, yeah, sort of. I had a good time with it. It was competently made, competently acted. I was concerned that Paget Barista was there. It was just very... Maybe I just have an obsession with her, but I was just like, why are you in this film? It was like Bruce Willis suddenly turning up in one of these films, and you're like, you're better than this, Bruce. But, um, but, but she was there. I liked the plot. It kind of kept me guessing, even though it was kind of obvious where it was going from about the midpoint... Up until that point, there had been enough stuff to make me think, okay, it was going one way, when actually it was going another way. So it wasn't entirely predictable, just fairly predictable. Uh, everyone does kind of a, a, a good job with their roles and, and the time that they're given on screen. I kind of wish some of the characters, namely Greta, had been used a little bit more efficiently um, and to greater effect, because it felt weird that just Claire and Brooke ended up being like de facto main characters when they didn't necessarily deserve to be. Uh, I liked how they managed to teach a lot of lessons about like real witchcraft, even if it was from quite a, a wicker threefold law kind of perspective. The 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 way of, of like explaining money magic and love magic and all those things, that was quite good. That they, they had some good clear lessons in there, which to be honest, I don't even think the craft managed to do that well. So I liked that aspect probably the most. Um, and again, it's always nice to watch one of these films because it just makes me reminisce about the days when I was a teenage witch and we used to get together and have our like circles around each other's houses. It's kind of nostalgic, really. So uh, that, that was also quite nice. The special effects did let it down a little bit because I feel like they got a little bit too ambitious with what they had. If they just stuck to the occasional floating book and hadn't had the need to fireball people that would have looked a lot better i don't know why they made claire a giant that was a weird choice because it was like something out of goosebumps and it made me uncomfortable um i do recommend watching it if if you have like amazon and you feel like going on there to rent this for like under two pound fifty but just under two pound fifty one penny under two pound fifty you could do worse it's definitely the best craft ripoff that i've watched and I have watched a fair few of them. So that's pretty enjoyable. There's a few solid laughs in there. They're not gut busters or anything, but it is mildly amusing in a kind of shitty Mean Girls ripoff kind of way. So I would definitely recommend it for like sleepovers, casual, like fluffy viewing if you're not feeling very well. It's not like a horror film or anything, so you're not going to get, you know, spooks and skinners out of it. But I think there's enough content in there that it satisfies the need to see sort of pagan themes in films like this, but it remains kind of fun and light and interesting as well. So it has that going for it, and uh, I was quietly impressed uh, by my first foray into Amazon's stock of films. Long may it continue. It probably won't, but I can but hope. In the meantime, if you have any other recommendations specifically for films to, to find on Amazon, because it's recommending like a lot of them to me now, but um, I, I would take some direct recommendations. Do get in touch. And uh, if you've seen Pretty Woman, 
please also get in touch so I don't feel so old. And in the meantime, I will see you in the next episode. Bye!